1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough.
0: You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody
1: named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to! We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know! Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. And the truth shall set you free! And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. We the bond a
0: family that very few can understand. Help me! Help you! I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. And today we are discussing Onward. So it's playing theatrically, though limited, it's playing on VOD, and it's playing on Disney+.
1: Yeah, but cool that it's playing on Disney+, Plus, right? You would think that they would wait, uh, you know, a few months, but, uh, yeah, they seem to be on top of making sure they're trying to keep people as happy as possible while they're sheltering in place.
0: Yeah, I think that, well, amongst the many other social experiments that are happening right now with the coronavirus crisis, I think that this will be an interesting case study for shortening those release windows, you know, if not going day and date with some of this stuff, like... What is it gonna look like if you start streaming simultaneously online and in the theaters?
1: Yeah, there were uh, some analysts who called uh, Onward the one of Pixar's first major failures, but you know it's a different metric, tracking it by online streaming numbers. This is relatively new, and uh, so I don't think it's a failure uh, by any means. I'm sure that a whole lot of people are watching it.
0: But in terms of its creative successes or failures, Uh, What did you think about Onward, especially, you know, in context with other Pixar movies?
1: So I will give Pixar movies the benefit of the doubt a lot of the time. Pixar was untouchable back in the day, and then they made made a few stinkers like Cars 2 and The Good Dinosaur. But I'm still excited when a Pixar movie shows up. I'm just a little bit leery. That doesn't mean I won't see it. So Onward, uh, when they started showing the previews, you know, around Toy Story 4, last year's big movie, um, I can't say that I was excited. Yeah, I have to say,
0: on the outset, Onward doesn't look particularly appealing. The character designs aren't terribly attractive to me.
1: Yeah, the characters don't look good. They're almost made for plushies. They're almost designed that way. Um, It's difficult for D&D because they're all nerds, but the designs didn't look cool. You know what I mean? They looked rounded and soft and not... I don't know, not Game of Thronesy, I guess. But they looked like cartoons that would be, I guess, fitting for the Disney model. But it didn't look cool. It looked sort of cheesy and kind of thrown together and half-assed. Hmm. This is just as conceptually from the outset. Yeah, You're hoping that those trailers grab you in a big way. And then you're like, that doesn't look amazing. And right. it doesn't have the cohesion of theme and design that I felt like, you know, the greats did. Right. Um,
0: right. The great Pixar
1: movies. Right. Like, wall you know what that movie is. And, and for, I think for good reason. They didn't show any of the humans in the Wally trailers. That was kind of a surprise. But I didn't particularly like the look of the humans in wall either. And that was, you know, quite a while ago. But human, humanoid characters has never been a strong suit of Pixar.
0: And I think that you hit the nail on the head when you talked about WALL-E and knowing what it is from the outset. The key art doesn't tell me what this thing is about. I see blue dudes in a car. It says onward and that's it.
1: Yeah, if they're going on a quest, they're going in an old 70s Chevy van?
0: Yeah, exactly. And like, it's not like they show swords and dragons. Like, If you want to get that Game of Thrones vibe, like, it's, it certainly wasn't apparent in the key art. You can't even tell that these dudes are elves. In fact, halfway through the story, I didn't know that these dudes were elves until someone said it.
1: It was almost like Jack Black and Tenacious D went in and pitched a movie to Pixar, and they were like, we love it.
0: Yeah, which is totally fun.
1: I was actually surprised. I thought that Jack Black would have been ideal to, uh, to voice that character, to voice the Barley character that Chris Pratt did.
0: Yeah. Chris Pratt is so vanilla to me. I mean, his performance as Barley was serviceable, but like him as an actor, not a lot to hang my hat on with him.
1: I agree that he's sort of not bland because he can definitely look intense, and I think he's got the goofiness that's really relatable and and, uh, and marketable for sure. I think that bland vanilla, like sort of doing the, the fantasy voice, really worked well in this movie. He was like, you know, thou shalt not blah, 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 and, and he was... <laughs> <laughs> kind of doing the effect, affa- uh, the affected sort of grandiose Lord of the Rings type voices while being a totally normal bland vanilla dude.
0: Yeah. Do you know people like that in real life? I totally do.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that it's the idea that a totally dorky normal dude, I guess, despite him being an elf, trying to be a fantasy guy, you know, wanting to be a wizard or a mage or whatever.
0: Yeah, which I get.
1: But I've seen an awful lot of Chris Pratt and Tom Holland lately. I mean, they're big in the Avengers movies, uh, Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy. They each have their own franchise. But especially in the last couple of years, and especially for Disney, they've been around an awful lot. So I felt like this was just kind of lazy. Hey, you guys want to roll over? You seem like you have appropriate voices. But I did like Chris Pratt. I think he sounded appropriate as Barley, as like I said, the nerdy kind of guy who was trying to be uh, more fantasy, more cool, more rock and roll than he was but tom holland has a weird childlike voice that i think he'll be able to apply to animated movies and things like that forever he's definitely got the teenager vibe going he's a much more convincing teenager than andrew garfield was as spider-man huh and uh and he was in spies in disguise and i think he really has a youngish voice uh that will translate well for a long time it's like jay baruchel in how to train your dragon That guy is like in his, you know, mid 30s or whatever, but he sounds so appropriate as a young guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tom Holland was great, although he's got he's British. Yep. Like his American accent is flawless.
1: Yeah. Pretty spot on. And then Chris (laughs) Pratt tries to do his British accent when he talks in the wizard voice or whatever.
0: Yeah. The wizard, the the wizard kind of medieval kind of fantasy voice is always British for some reason.
1: Yeah, back when a British accent denoted intelligence and wisdom.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. It kind of still does. It kind of still does. People always choose British voiceover actors for like the smart yeah. people.
1: So, but yeah, it didn't look good. Um, the trailers didn't inspire me at all. That didn't stop me from getting IMAX tickets in opening weekend, and we did the thing. Uh, Kelly was in, was excited about it, and I was like, okay, that's fine, we'll go see it and see what it's about. At the very least, I always felt that Pixar had a thing, that they would dramatically advance. Every time they released a movie, there was a good reason. Um, not to say that that's the only reason, but for example, in, in Wall-E, they had the photorealistic sort of vibe for, uh, for Earth, so down, and uh, real looking surfaces, and dirt, and the metal, and the rust, and all that stuff.
0: For Monsters, Inc., the amazing hair,
1: Yeah, the hair textures, exactly.
0: For Nemo underwater?
1: The particles in the water and the sort of haze, yeah, and the way the water moved, absolutely. Uh, For Toy Story 4, I wanted to see what that would be. And Toy Story 4, in the first Toy Story, they they weren't able to replicate rain hitting the ground, so you never really see the splashes. And then they kind of addressed that at the top of Toy Story 4 with a tremendous scene in the rain with the car. Oh, yeah. And Woody. The it an extended open. rain sequence. They so were like, hey, remember that thing that we couldn't do? Well, we did the <laughs> heck out of it this time. And so I was w- waiting to see what the the kind of gimmick would be for Onward. Yeah. The thing that they could really hang their hat on. And I didn't really see mm. a lot of that. And I was kind of expecting that. But I will say also that Pixar's strength is to take the the purpose of, of animation, I think, is to make believable the fantastic elements of... You know, magic to make it look cool and sparkly and not like a cheesy effect. Animation can do that so well like it does with Elsa's Power and Frozen. Mm-hmm. It just makes it so bright and vivid and magical. yeah, that I think it lends really well to animation. So I think that they had all the pieces in place, right, but I thought it looked awfully cheesy.
0: You have to have a really good reason to justify doing something in animation because of how expensive it is because of how time and labor intensive it is especially how crucial it is to tell for the story to be told visually aside from the magic in this i mean the magic and the fantastical characters i guess there wasn't a lot of reason to do this in animation i mean this i think the fantastical characters were so humanoid in themselves that they didn't feel like ancient creatures or fantastical creatures but my point is that this movie made me think maybe there's another reason to do something in animation and I'm developing new theory that you can do things emotionally in animation that you can't necessarily do in other formats
1: explain that
0: so this movie is so there's there were so many moments that were really emotional for me like something as simple as the dad the dad's foot feeling around and then feeling his son's feet for the first time got me all choked up. And maybe it's because I'm a mom and I'm a lot more emotional these days or, mo- or maybe there was something to it. And then at the end when Barley gets his moment with the sun setting behind them and he gets to talk with his dad and they do a hug. It's like, I feel like animated movies, it's safer for audiences. Audiences are more Willing to open themselves up to the emotion that the animated an animated movie can deliver, because somehow it's safer because it's not real.
1: Interesting. Maybe there is also something to the fact that they can unreservedly swell the music and adjust the colors. So there, you know, there's, there's a dramatic sunset, and in these hyper not not realistic but these hyper-accentuated features like your eyes can become huge and your mouth drops open. And it's cute in a way that's more difficult to read on a human face but can be manipulated so perfectly, you know, in animation and, and painstakingly because you glossed over the fact that that this, it's time and labor intensive, but we're talking five years, generally, as we mentioned in our Frozen 2 review, to produce a quality, feature-length animated animated movie.
0: Right, which doesn't even include, like, development, necessarily. Like That's like fingers on keyboards actually crafting this thing.
1: Yeah, man, some people are lucky that they can work on post-production for animated movies forever from home. Exactly,
0: you know, right uh, now. As
1: opposed to the movies, yeah. So emotionally speaking, I had a hard time because the uh I think the character I think Chris Pratt and uh, and uh, Tom Holland as Ian and Barley were fine. Uh, I, I did, wasn't interested in the mom character or really the cult character, the the stepdad. Um, I understand why they were setting out on their quest, even though it was kind of dorky and they were out set out to to find uh, and recreate their dad, but when the dad showed up and indeed for, 90% of the dad's screen time, you can't connect with him emotionally. I get that his little gestures were clever, but it, it never felt like a dad and it never felt too emotionally redeeming for me. I think it was nice and you can read it on, on Ian Barley's faces, but from the dad, I kind of got nothing. I thought the dancing scene in the van was a little bit cheesy. Uh, and that was their moment to connect. And obviously, I will say that they set up a lot of stuff admirably. The idea of, you know, your dad, the you know, I knew him. And, and, and man, he always wore the craziest purple socks. And you see those purple socks and the things that are, are indicative of their dad as a character. Did you right? feel
0: Did you feel like the plant and payoff in this was, was obvious?
1: Um, no, because I didn't know where the movie was going. Pixar is generally pretty restrained in their trailers and things. So I didn't I felt like it was more satisfying than anything. And it was definitely more impactful the second time around. But no, I, I think that it was it worked well. Setting up in in the van, in Barley's van, the air conditioner that's just over the top blasting, right? And, and like peels your lips back right and then they set that up initially and then that's what he used to blow the pixies off his face right when he is trying to drive i felt like the setups were serviceable they are definitely necessary in movies
0: i did think that they i thought that it worked with animated films too you have to there's a lot of burden on the filmmakers to set up the world and establish its rules so sometimes it can feel a little expositiony and i felt like the plant and payoff worked like I felt like everything was appropriately set up but maybe it felt a little I felt like every piece of story information we got was set up for something that needed to or that was going to pay off afterward and I felt this more in the second viewing so maybe I was watching it more critically but even in the first moment when Colt comes by and we don't know that he is Ian and Barley's um, mom's boyfriend, he comes yep. by and shows the video of Barley in the Fountain that we see at the very end of the film. Like everything uh-huh. was very tediously, very intentionally set up in this movie.
1: Uh, I, I felt I understand what you're saying, and I, I think that there's t- this a separation. there's the way this movie is constructed, and then there's the emotional sort of carrying you, right? And I will concede that the emotionalism uh, from the outset didn't grab me in the way that it may have you. I was just sort of hanging on to the things that would make me connect. And so when they fed me the setups that would later pay off, I think it was fine. It wasn't as in my face as maybe it was for you. Um, I was just sort of looking to be immersed. I was looking for toeholds to carry me along. And most of the time that was just the clever stuff But your happy price price line. References to other fantasy things like Lord of the Rings and just a cool way that they handled this sort of society populated by non human creatures.
0: With unicorns as pigeons or seagulls digging through our trash.
1: So we conferred about that and, and I think we can and Kelly and I came up with raccoons.
0: Oh that raccoons as we can go.
1: Because like, what hisses at you?
0: Well, uh, seagulls hiss.
1: <laughs> and so apparently that was uh Harkening back to an old legend, one of the original legends of unicorns as being uh, difficult, standoffish uh, creatures.
0: Huh. Interesting. And not the
1: majestic, flowing-haired beauties and companions of ladies that we know today,
0: or that are depicted in *The Last Unicorn*, which we'll get to. Yeah, we
1: should do. We should do like you know, (laughs) uh, like a fantasy theme one of these days.
0: Um, But you referenced *Lord of the Rings*, and I have a long list of movies that this made me think of. And my list really begs the question, is Onward a derivative work or is Onward totally in the zeitgeist?
1: On, I would say more zeitgeist and it's an, an homage. I definitely draws from themes. And now, so how many of this list, going down and scanning it, if you've got it in front of you, how many of this list of movies are Disney properties? At least two, three. But this is kind of my point. The whole fantasy idea, and the zeitgeist of what fantasy is and definitely kind of trending away from dorky and being more cool in the Lord of the Rings uh, Game of Thrones kind of style is, I think, where Onward differed. I think this was more of a dorky D&D, Stranger Things, stranger will, things. In a, in, will, will in a ro- robe and pointed cap, Merlin the Magician with moon and stars on it, silk dorky robe kind of D&D. <laughs> it wasn't cool. The whole world looked smurfy. And I had a yeah. real problem with that.
0: Yeah, Smurfy.
1: Uh Kelly noted in the second a second time around that uh in converting, you know, the human world or whatever to the fantasy world, all the buildings downtown had had turrets on them. Huh. But the houses were still kind of mushroomy, at least some of them. And so well, the they nerdy were nerdy fantasy. Okay, but I did notice a lot of homages, especially when this whole operation got underway. In particular, do you have Indiana Jones on your list?
0: I have Indiana Jones
1: on my list. Because that was really thorough. I mean, down to specifics, like the gelatinous cube, spoiler, was totally the boulder, leaping over the pit to escape from the gelatinous cube in order to get to the stone doorway that was sliding closed and pulling Dad through at the last minute, like the iconic Indy hat grab. yeah. Stepping across the Invisible Bridge, which was straight out of uh, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. Oh, yeah. And not to mention the, uh, the saw blade that cut the dad in half came straight out of the uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade as part of the test of penitence to get to the Holy Grail, uh, which is, I will say, the only thing that I saw coming. Uh. I, di- I didn't think they were actually going to do it. But when Half Dad was not was, you know, all pillows and sunglasses from the top up, I was like, you know, it'd be really cool if they did the cutting in half thing (laughs) on on their epic quest. And they did it. And it was very satisfying.
0: Well, Paloma calls Half Dad silly pants. And uh, there's another Indiana Jones reference at the very top of the film, the opening montage that's talking about the magical world where he um, is getting the the fetish or the totem or the whatever From the temple, and then the dragon comes out. Like, that was very Indiana Jones, with it on a pedestal, spotlighted on a pedestal and stuff.
1: Very cool. And Indiana Jones, of course, a Disney property. So what else you got?
0: Yep, so that was my... Yeah, that was one Disney property. Then there is a reference to Ratatouille when, in the liquor store, Half Dad or Silly Pants is bumbling around, and the sprites are like, you got a problem, sunglasses? And then he does the turn and the deadpan
1: the sassy head lean
0: yes which is straight out of ratatouille when when remy is operating Linguini and Linguini is asleep and yep um his girlfriend's trying to have like a heart to heart with him and then he like does the like sunglasses slump and she and she slaps him on the face and wakes him up
1: this one made me laugh i don't remember if that one made me laugh but it was so perfect with the lumpy dad character yes lumpy pillow dad silly pants But uh, if we're going to go down the list of all the references to Disney movies, there's a whole bunch of them. That's true. So those little details, not only connecting them to Disney properties in a way that fans of other movies could be like, oh, I get it, you know, but to tie in. But just the way that you would cleverly navigate this fantasy world in the way that the human world is, you know, liquor stores with all human sized doors and uh, and human sized motorcycles that these pixies have to deal with which I thought was kind of clever. Uh, It wasn't until the freeway chase that I kind of started to smile and really appreciate and like, okay, we may actually be going on an adventure here. Oh, yeah. But just the way they would operate the motorcycles and things and and the way the dad is flopping around and shaking his fist at them and stuff. Right. And the little tiny inferiority (laughs) complex, Napoleonesca sort of pixies are all angry. Did you notice that they were uh, chugging pixie sticks? (laughs) Yes. So really clever, the way that they can kind of do those things in the way that Ian and Barley can replicate Colt. Colt, yeah, the Colt Bronco. Yeah, with the the disguise. And, uh, you know, that definitely is, is not a new concept, the idea of impersonating someone else and then things start to go haywire and, and ears. And, you know, they did it in The Nutty Professor where when they change back to their original form, you know, things go like the ears and the nose and hands go first. Oh, right. you got to hide it and, ma- and maintain the facade. Uh, uh, not a lot of it felt new. I, I can say I don't ever remember a giant Cheeto being used as a boat. And so maybe <laughs> that, that was new.
0: <clears throat> that was pretty original.
1: But kind of cheesy. And I think this kind of movie, in the same way that the fantasy type of people that Barley are, don't care about that kind of stuff. I think that because Kelly pointed out this is like made for D&D people. You know, chugging Red Bulls or energy drinks, like the Manticore was, and floating and and eating snacks and giant Cheetos in the seventies rock and roll, uh, you know, uh, fantasy painted van, the Unicorn van, or whatever. Right. And 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 cheese doesn't exist in a sort of fantasy fandom, I don't think. Like you can't uh, go too cheesy.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can be, but there's a difference between homage and like outright replica or copying. I mean. The ending is literally back to the future.
1: Yeah, Well, as long as it didn't turn around and, and soar right into the camera, I was okay with that. I don't think that this movie is derivative. I think that there are a lot of elements that are familiar. And because it works, I think it is and more of an homage. The imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. But does that count if it's poorly done, if the flattery is poorly done, like a knockoff? Yeah, I guess the question is whether or not Onward is a poorly done imitation or drawing from these other inspirations, if it's if it's poorly made.
0: Well, I mean,
1: this wasn't a poorly made film. And Pixar rarely churns out poorly made ones. But getting back to your original focus, which was how it affected you emotionally, like we can pick apart all the... Uh, the little tributes and the things that they borrowed from other movies and tropes and kind of hang on those for enjoyment, even if they don't grip you emotionally, which it really didn't for me for most of the movie. And then you get to the ending, which I don't think adhered to any tropes. And ultimately for me, to my utter surprise became one of the most emotionally moving Pixar movies ever, for me.
0: So, at what point did it make the turn?
1: I didn't expect the the barley the turn where he where Ian was completing his list. Yeah. And I didn't quite get it at first because I thought, well, they definitely took a walk with Dad. He accomplished that, and he was checking it off. And then obviously when it became about barley, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But it's also kind of a cop out or or a way to satisfy the idea that you. uh you know, you failed and you're trying to piece together some semblance of uh, of comfort from it or whatever. But, I mean, uh,
0: Ian, Ian thinking of Barley was like, well, if I didn't, well, this is my solace because I didn't get to see my dad.
1: Yeah, the solace just to make himself feel better in the face of a failed mission. And I didn't think that the mission was totally kaput at that point, or I guess the quest, sorry. But uh, definitely there was... An emotional impact that I didn't expect when he traded off and let Barley say goodbye to his dad. I didn't expect that, and I was a little bit sad because Ian is our central character, the one who had never met his dad.
0: It is a little surprising to me that Barley accepted Ian's deferral.
1: Yeah, and so I reacted kind of badly to that at first. I was like, no, no, you're the one. But then obviously he steps up, takes his staff... Walks on air and goes and fights the dragon in the way that only he can, and then you come to acknowledge and accept the fact that he regards Barley as his father figure, and they flash back to them as kids. You know, when he's he's making his list and watching Barley interact with the dad, who we only see from afar. I don't know, man. That I like. I missed it up in a way that I haven't done in a Pixar movie since Wall-E.
0: Well, we couldn't see that. I mean, we couldn't meet the dad, right? Because a dad that we don't see will be so much more emotional than a dad that we do see because they allowed us to project whatever we wanted to onto that scene from a distance.
1: Yes. But then Barley gives him a hug and you can see Ian's face change and basically he he didn't get to meet his dad, but he was at peace with not meeting his dad in a way that was satisfactory and then you know, I mean it really made me think how important it was to have an older brother look out for you and teach you all about all the cool stuff like movies and music and really kind of shape your childhood and personality in a way that's indispensable and and really valuable
0: you're just gonna steal my emotional thunder here
1: yeah sorry go ahead you just well did you cry
0: i didn't i don't cry well obviously i thought about you and i thought that this did work on an emotional level differently than other films because i think i don't know i mean i think that kids deal with you know losing parents and kids are adopted or they you know they're, they always have some weird tragedy or something but i feel like the real unique thing about the story was the sibling dynamic and i don't feel that from Frozen with the sisters and stuff like that but I felt I felt it so much here with the two brothers because of the older brother figure I mean did I look back and think of all the embarrassing things that you did and what a dork I thought you were yeah but I also <laughs> thought about the way that you were you were there for me I mean I definitely could project onto those flashback images of of times and places where You stood in as a father figure for me, and, yeah, it was pretty close to home. So, I don't know. Is this where I thank you for being a...
1: No, don't do that. That's totally weird. (laughs) Kelly did say, though, she said it's a movie about siblings.
0: Yeah, but it's so much more, I mean, it's so much more specific than that. Like, you know, we have Dad, we've always had Dad, but, like, I remember being completely distraught and crying uncontrollably about Matt and you probably had to muster all your brotherly courage to give me a hug, but you, but you did it. I also remember being like really sick and who knows where mom and dad were. And I think I was like in bed all dehydrated and delirious and in my underwear. And you like mustered the, your brotherly courage to like pick me up and take me to the hospital. I think you even got me dressed.
1: I don't know, whatever. But we got to the thing and they called your name and you like put your head on my shoulder. And I was like, dude, let's go. And you were like totally lethargic and on the verge of death. And they had to give you two bags of fluid. <sighs> but yeah, the, the sometimes it's necessary, obviously, when they don't have a father figure or whatever, for them to look out for each other. Cause they certainly weren't given mom the opportunity when mom had to step up, she got a sword and went after the, the, the creature went after the dragon and stuff, but really, they were kind of on their own. The best that mom could do was was pull the manticore out of there and go drive to meet them on the freeway by car, which I don't know how she knew where they were going to end up. The manticore knew.
0: Well, she saw in the d d cards or whatever that they were going to the manticore's tavern, and then from there, the manticore had the mission to go and get the sword from the pawn shop.
1: So nerdy, though, this whole thing.
0: I know. It's really nerdy to yeah. even talk about
1: it. Yeah. So you remember in Lilo and Stitch when Lilo punched the girl in the face, like in the first five minutes? Yeah. Closed fist hammer punch to the face. Now I was like, whoa. So in this one, the Manticore stuck a lady in the neck with her scorpion tail, oh, and I yeah. was like, was that really justified? But she totally <laughs> tried to gouge them on the price of the sword. That was whack. And I, I, I will, I maintain that that lady deserved to get stuck in the neck.
0: Well, they did check in with her that she wasn't dead.
1: Yeah, we saw it, and she wasn't dead, And but, you know, still, I didn't feel bad. And for an act of violence in a Disney Pixar movie, I feel like that was totally justified.
0: <laughs> so the mom did what she could. I mean, it was always, obviously, the story about the brothers, and even and it was surprisingly emotionally satisfying.
1: Yeah, and Barley the hero, and, in all respects.
0: Uh, I don't know. Um, the
1: dad-slash-brother-slash-cool kid.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, mm. I mean, he wasn't a wizard.
1: Yeah, that's a good thing, though.
0: He didn't have an arc.
1: Nope. I mean, aside from the, the sibling themes or whatever and, and mi- mirroring our own upbringing, maybe that factored in somewhat. I, I don't know. But I feel like for an adventure kind of quest, they steered away from the utter dorkiness and, uh, and and made it cool and fun and surprisingly emotionally redeeming for me and satisfying in a way that I have to give this movie a—it a, was an all right movie. I don't know that this is a legendary Pixar movie for all time, but it earned its keep.
0: I mean, it's your rating system or whatever, but this is a kind of a totally movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you think that the, you will watch this as many as many times as you will the classics? Uh, you know, Paloma and Aurelia, notwithstanding, that, that you you would want to visit this one because I know I know that like Cars too, I'll never watch that movie again. Well, we
0: watched it. It was Paloma's birthday movie, and we were nice. all really excited to watch it together. And she was so happy to sit between her mom and her dad to watch it, to have us both both there like showering her with attention and everything. But the next day, when she wanted to see The Silly Pants again, I was more than happy to watch it again. I mean, you wouldn't totally recommend this to someone. If someone was like, "Yeah," you'd be like, it's all right.
1: No, absolutely I would. And I liked a whole lot of things about it. Was surprised by the emotional impact. I don't know if it stands up there with the the glory days of the Incredibles and Nemo.
0: Yeah, you're all dated.
1: No, yeah, for sure I am. So I'm hoping, I'm not hoping they surprise me anymore. I'm hoping that they are up to snuff. That they give give me what I want and expect. And more often than not, they do. This one, however, surprised me. I'm kind of on the fence about the rating. I don't mean that it, that an all right movie is 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 to demean it by any means. It's right on the edge. It's it's a really good movie.
0: It's a really good movie. See, this is where your your scale becomes more difficult because this is an easy good for me. We may have poo pooed it a little bit at the top of this episode, but turns out that was only for dramatic effect because you get an all right, which is kind of a totally from Wes, a good from Iris, and that's our chat on Onward. Let us know what you think. 818-835-0473. Email us and leave us a voicemail or whatever movies at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid.
0: Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity
1: to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.
0: Electric acid.